Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Trojan fans, and welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Monday. Hope everyone had a wonderful weekend and ready to start talking about USC Trojan football again. The Trojans had their first scrimmage in the Coliseum over the weekend, and we're going to talk about that with the coach, Harvey Hyde. You can follow him on Twitter at Coach Harvey Hyde or go to his website, harveyhyde.com. If you have any questions or comments for our little show, you can email us, podcast at uscfootball.com, or call or text us at 424 424- Two five four nine one four one, and if you have the Apple Podcasting app on any of your Apple devices, please follow the Peristyle Podcast. Leave us a five star rating and a review. Any comments, feedback, suggestions you have for the show, we love it there. But leave us those five stars; it does help to grow the show. And things are getting a little busy again, Coach. We've had camp practice all the time, and uh, it just feels normal again. Like talking to people in person, seeing practices in person, feels a lot more normal. But hope you're doing well, Coach. Welcome in. Well, thank you very much, and welcome, everyone. Yes, it was great being in the Coliseum. It really was. It's been a long time, and uh, by the way, it was a lot better than the playpen or standing up by the pool as far as watching practice. I want to thank Tim. Tim gave us a nice nice front row seat there, and it was covered and shady and nice, so it was nice to spread out and say hello to everybody, as you mentioned, Ryan, and watch a, a spirited, quick practice uh they moved along quickly at about it started about 150 and then again at 330 blew the whistle three times and the horn went off three times and it was over and they cleared us out of the stadium and we were gone but it was an exciting day and i don't know where you want to start but let's talk about usc trojan football for sure coach we're going to talk all about the scrimmage we're going to let people know uh, about our sponsor trader joe's they've been great to us the last couple of years make sure you go to traderjoes.com for all the updates on what's going on there and if you're going to do a tailgating any kind of tailgating stuff you can go to the trader joe's over at the usc village check it out there uh i've been kind of in a pinot noir mood lately coach so i want people if you want to go try the cotillion it's about 10 bucks a bottle uh i love that one and there's also just the the trader joe's reserve uh pinot noir is also about 10 bucks so really reasonable price wines if you want to bring something home and have it with dinner or whatever uh some good stuff there so go check those out if you get a chance and are you a big wine guy coach or not really no not really but uh yeah i know people that are fine wine people and uh, drinkers my my daughters love wine so we always uh, uh celebrate wine before we can go to dinner or even at dinner have a glass of wine but i don't have it they do oh yeah i don't know i've just been on a pinot noir kick lately i like those stuff but yeah make sure you guys go check those out but coach wanted to, to pick your brain a little bit about what went on so if people don't know the scrimmage was on saturday that the ncaa changed some of the rules you're only allowed two scrimmages now uh in the fall they used to have three and this one usc did a little bit differently we saw uh keen slovis in like two series um some of the veteran players weren't participating the guys like drake jackson he's Missed the first few practices. He's still not acclimated yet, so he's not allowed to put on full pads at this point, only shoulder pads. So the next scrimmage, he'll be able to uh, fully participate. Didn't see a lot of Drake London. 
Um, it was mostly the young guys kind of going at it for the first scrimmage. So just maybe we'll start with that coach. Philosophically, did you like the way uh, that was constructed? Well, first of all, the philosophy of only having two scrimmages, I don't like that at all. I think the body has to be conditioned to, to contact. I think kids have got to get used to hitting a moving target and, and learning how to protect themselves when they tackle and do all the things that are necessary to do under full speed. And the only way you learn how to play the game of football and play it safely and uh, follow the rules and regulations is a scrimmage and do it in a game-type situation. So I don't like that rule as far as only two scrimmages before your first football game. I don't like that, but you got to go along with the rules and regulations that are made, and uh, all universities are following that, so you really can't do much about that. But uh, as far as uh, USC scrimmage on Saturday, uh, <clears throat> they did rotate around a lot as far as different type of uh, things they did, uh, as far as Slovis, as you mentioned, only went the first two series. And uh, I think they're really concerned, and this is just my personal opinion, uh, as far as uh, a chance of him becoming injured. I don't see how he can be ready to play and be confident with his offensive line and running game and so on unless he scrimmages uh, and learn to throw through the seams of the big lineman and fl get when he gets flushed out of the pocket, be able to run so far and learn to slide, know where the first down markers are so you can run with that run for that first down, and the different things that it takes to mature and become a great quarterback. But I think he only went two series, I believe, because they were worried about they didn't know what to expect from the offensive line, what type of blocking they were going to have, and obviously the offensive line uh, you know, did not hold up very well. The defense went after him, and there was a, a lot of sacks, and it really did mess up their passing game a lot. Because they ended up throwing, I would say, 10 to 15 fades the entire practice. Just every time they'd drop back and throw the fade, throw the fade, throw the fade. And eventually, you're going to hit some. And I think they uh, threw three fades and got three touchdowns, I think, between Dart and Moss. And uh, that was it. I mean, I, I really didn't see the offense really drive the football, if you know what I'm talking about. Be consistent. Be able to drive the football, to win a football game. Uh, I didn't see them throw post routes, corner routes. I didn't see them throw outright routes, uh, comeback routes. And, and maybe that wasn't in what they're trying to do. Now, don't get me wrong. Maybe that's not what they're trying to do. I didn't see any really screen passes or, or bubble screens or any of that type of stuff. Maybe that wasn't in their game plan. But you got to practice those things under full-speed conditions. And uh, we didn't see that. So uh, I'm not quite sure why. But again, uh, you know, you saw some running game, but it wasn't a brilliant running game. A couple of the backs were out there injured. I was, I was, really, uh, I was really impressed, too, uh, with the young uh, kid, that the running back that, that was out for tr uh, track. Uh, Keenan Kristen. Uh, yeah, yeah Keenan Kristen. I thought he brought another type of element to the game with his speed. Because I saw one back, and I want to use his name, break and get into the open. And normally, if you have team speed, you're going to run between those guys and make it to the goal line. He didn't have the burst, but he certainly did run hard. So I don't see the running backs being a, a still a, a running game. I don't. I see him as a pass blocker. I see them as a receiver. And I don't really see the running game being dominant in any way because they don't have any series. And what I mean by that, Ryan, and you've heard me say this over and over and over and over, the backside end just crashes down and just he does not have to worry about any type of 
play coming back, any type of counter sweep or, or anything because the quarterback doesn't roll out or, or hold him in any way. So, you know, the defense is going to be superior. I just worry about the defense being able to uh, learn to adjust to those things when they play other teams. So right now that's what I saw on the offensive side of the football, inconsistency, not the ability to drive down the football field with uh, first down, first down, second down, first down, a lot of first down passes that put them in difficult situations with second and 10 and third and 10. And then the fade route, the fade route, the fade route. You know, it didn't show me a lot as far as the passing game was concerned at all. Offensive line got a long ways to go. Not that uh, they aren't returners and so on, but basically every quarterback was flushed out of the pocket. Every quarterback was hurried on his passing passes, and the timing of the passing game was completely off, I feel. That's my opinion as far as the offensive side. Um, Yeah, I mean – I know you got to see some Jackson Dart and Miller Moss. I think through the first, you know, five, six practices, Moss actually looked a little better. Um, I think Dart probably looked a little better in the scrimmage. Uh, But like you said, both were running for their lives and kind of had to throw uh, out of rhythm just because they were hurried. Uh, Any thoughts on the two freshman quarterbacks? Well, you know, uh, they learned that the the game is a lot faster. Welcome to college football. I think that's the best way to say it as far as the quarterbacks. Welcome to college football. The game is so much faster when you're in practice and you're going through uh, practice and, you know, in seven-on-sevens and some drills that, and you know you're not going to be hit and so on. It, it's a whole different thing than all of a sudden 11-on-11 11 11 and the guys on the defensive side of the football, hey, you're the you're the target. And uh, unless that offensive line really does hold off, up, it throws your timing off. It throws your confidence off. And uh, all of a sudden, you're throwing over linemen that are 6'6", six, 6'5", six, six, arms up in the air, jumping up in the air, batting balls down, what they did on Saturday. But I thought they were gamers. I thought they all worked. Both of them really tried hard and did what was necessary with what they were given. I mean, as far as running out of the pocket and try to make something happen. But I think they've definitely been told not to run for some reason, because they could run for first down at times, and they never attempted to do that. They continually threw the football. I'm, I'm hoping that's why they're not running. But you've got to be able to get that first down. You've got to be able to get some yards if, if you're flushed out of the pocket, not just throw the football down the field or force the football into a coverage or whatever. But I thought they both were gamers. They did what they could under a lot of pressure, and uh, I think that was welcome to college football, guys. Yeah, it seemed there was definitely a, a rude awakening. Uh, you know, those guys got some action in the spring game and stuff too, but this was sort of their show for this uh, first scrimmage. Um, you talk about the defense being uh, superior at this point. I think ever since the, the, the full pads practice, the defense has been uh, doing better, which, you know, makes sense there. Uh, you know, able to go out there and do some things. Any other thoughts on what you saw on the defense? Yes. Uh, first of all, it's not surprising that defense is ahead of the offense, okay? Because the defense lines up and they do the different things they do, and even if they make a mistake, a guy makes a mistake, and if he makes a tackle, he's a hero. He looks good. They call his number and name. But on the offense, it takes rhythm. It takes everybody playing together. The offensive line has got to communicate. Everybody's got to block somebody or run the right route or make something happen. But on defense, you just get after people. Now, where defenses get hurt is they give up the big play 
or they're not putting pressure on the quarterback when they're passing it and playing man, or if they lose contain because the secondary guy can't cover all day when you're playing man. So I saw them lose contain a couple times, but actually they're getting after the football. They know where the quarterback is, and that's one thing that you hear me talking about all the time. They don't have to worry about him going to the outside or run read or bootleg and all these different things. So they know where he is, so they just go after him. They're not helping the quarterback. They're not really helping their passing game. They're not really developing a running game by holding the outside guys from crashing down to the inside and making the tackles. They have more success throwing on – I believe as an offense, they have more success or belief in themselves of throwing the three-yard out, three out when it's fourth and one than running the football. I really believe that's when their mind is and that's what they believe they do. They don't believe that they can get it on a running game. And the defense gets fired up and they get after it, and it's two different types of philosophies. you got the defense who through Todd Orlando – and the physical part of the defensive coaches and so on are, are uh, Todd's on the field on a 20-yard line half the time going crazy, fired up his guys and getting them to run in the field. Well, I have more of a kickback type of attitude on the offensive side. Now, I know you don't play the game the same on the offensive side of the football and the defensive side of the football, but you got to be tough and you got to be able to, you know, get after people and don't allow people to do those things to you and have the pride that, you know, he they can't rush us. We got to do what do we? If they if they rush us, we're going to run a drawer screen. Okay, we're going to do something because we know they're playing man most of the time. So we're going to drive off and run a screen. And we're going to drive off and do certain things, mismatches with our big receivers. We're going to do something to beat that coverage that we're facing. We got to do something to stop the stop the pressure that we're getting. Throw the ball to the outside. Do something, but you can't continually allowed the defense to know where you are. And the defense knew where they were. They came after you. A lot of times uh, we didn't allow, as a, as a head football coach in our first scrimmage, I didn't allow the defense to throw everything at us. But I didn't think it was fair. But it's so much easier for the defense to have everything and, and coach off the tape when the offense really doesn't have the opportunity of really knowing what all of your stunts and blitzes are and blocking at full speed is a lot different than walking through and blocking it. So uh, the defense uh, was superior, and uh, the offense, though, has got to be able to keep you know the defense off the field so they can recover. And I have always said the best defense is a great offense that drives the ball down the field, gives your defense a chance to rest, go back in there, and get the football back for you. But, uh, again, uh, I thought the defense I, – I, one thing I liked about the defense, too, I thought they tackled well for not having a lot of tackling or live scrimmages. So, you know, that means they're teaching the techniques properly, the shoulder, driving your legs. I didn't see guys breaking tackles. Now, Washington did have a great run, the quick receiver, and I liked him. I thought I like I like Kyle Ford, too, and I like Jackson, Michael Jackson. They all look good, okay, but I'm picking out a lot of people. But they they showed me they have something. But Linda didn't play at all, and these guys had a chance to play. But I thought the defense tackled well as far as for the first scrimmage. They didn't get duped out or guys didn't break a lot of tackles. Occasionally it happened, but not a lot like you normally see in a first scrimmage because it's different when you tackle live in an open game type of situation. It is different. 
Well, the, the ball carry has a whole field in most situations, and you've got to settle up and make the tackle. I thought Steele had a couple of good hits. Palomalo, I love him on the field. I love him when he walks onto the field. I got a lot of confidence with the way he plays football. So this is what I saw as far as the entire scrimmage, as far as the defensive side, the offensive side, and we yet we can talk about special teams later. Yeah, we can do we can do that now, Coach. Um, you know, it's funny. Like this past week of practice, I was telling people, like, you know, I'm not really concerned. Sean Snyder has been a great special teams coach. Um, and, they, you know, they just seem like they're more buttoned up. It's more, you know, they're doing the right things. I saw a few, you know, just kind of miscues, I guess, during some of the special teams practices uh, uh, leading up to the scrimmage. And, you know, Gary Bryant Jr., who's been like kind of the main returner, he's been out for a little while. Some of the other guys had some problems catching the football, maybe, you know, just kind of confusion if it's like a short kick. There's some little things I'm like, oh, that's kind of interesting. Now, it's, you know, you're a week into fall camp, so it's not that huge of a deal. But uh, what did you see that, uh, you know, in the Coliseum uh, from what they did on special teams work? Well, I feel like you do. I think Sean Snyder is one of the best special teams coaches in the country. And I think he comes from, uh, you know, his father, Bruce Snyder, was one of the top coaches, I thought, that should be coached here every year when he played it or coached at Kansas State because you better not show up and be ready to play because he's going to beat you. And he comes with that type of attitude. What I saw the most about special teams is I saw the right people on the field with special teams. Like when I saw the kickoff team, I saw nine of the 11 guys going into the kickoff had white jerseys on, which means they're defensive players. In the past, I didn't see that, which means you've got guys that work on tackling and covering and going down the field, guys that like to tackle people, guys that have the intensity of being a defensive player. Uh, the kicker, Lewis, was one of the guys, and I can't remember. On one couple of the kickoffs, they were all white except for the kicker. So I like that because you're not mixing offense with defense, and you're doing it as a team because you kick off and the defense takes over. So the kickoff team determines where your defense goes in and what, how much field they have to de- defend. So you tell that defensive cover team, if he's going to run the football, you better get the field position for us and not miss tackles. I like that. I really like that. And then when you watch the punt team, you saw the same thing up front. You saw white jerseys. Because those guys are going to go down and cover and make a tackle on a return guy. And again, they're going to determine where the defense goes into the game. Now, they did have two Cardinal jerseys in there, and that's the two big tackles that stood back there to protect Griffin, the punter. Now, your comment as far as the receivers juggling the ball around and so on, Griffin kicks the ball at a very difficult way of feeling the football. You know, he'll boom it and spin it, and he'll put the backspin on it as far as at times, and it's very difficult for these kickers to judge it properly and make that catch. So if they can catch his uh, punts, they'll be able to catch anybody's punts. That's the way I feel on that. And then again, when you look at the PAT and field goal, all Cardinal jerseys. I like that because you got your field goal team on the field. And if you need to go for a field goal, they're there. You might have to send a kicker out and a holder out, maybe one or two up backs, just a couple of tight ends, but you got your guys there. You don't have to run 11 guys onto the field. And you line up and you kick the extra point or you kick the, kick the field goal. So I, those are the things I like when I saw with special teams. 
and uh, they worked on special teams a lot. So they got a lot of reps and a lot of turns, and uh, that those are the things I noticed the most. Oh, that's a uh, good observations there, Coach. Yeah, we felt like sometimes before you're like, why is that guy on this coverage team, and what? Why is he over there? And so yeah, so I think that's. Uh, like I said, just things seemed a little bit more buttoned up with Sean Snyder. So, um, you know, they, they were, I think, the most efficient special teams unit in the country last year, and they were one of the worst uh, in the years prior. So I'm not too worried about special teams. I think they're going to be good for USC. You'll make some big plays, but you won't give up as many big plays as we saw. Some of the disaster plays USC special teams <laughs> were sort of no, known for the last couple of years. Like, you know, sending two guys on the field with the same jersey number on the very first play of the season. So stuff like that you don't want to see. Um, all right, Coach. Well, why don't we take a quick break and we'll come uh, – no, actually, one one more thing before we uh, move on and take a break, then we'll answer questions. The AP poll came out uh, this morning. So this is Monday morning. Um, the Associated Press preseason college football poll, a little bit different than the coaches poll. Uh, in the coaches poll, uh, USC came in number 14 – in the AP poll, USC comes in number 15, so about the same. Um, the I guess the issue would be the AP poll gave a little more love to the Pac-12 uh, with five teams ranked instead of just three. Uh, both Utah and Arizona State uh, snuck in at 24 and 25, respectively. Um, Oregon's number 11, and Washington was number 20. So on the coaches' poll... The only ranked opponent USC would face is Notre Dame. In the AP poll, they add a couple of ranked teams. So you play Notre Dame, but also both Arizona State and Utah are ranked as well. But uh, I know you don't have to put a lot of stock into it, but any thoughts on the initial preseason AP poll, Coach? Yeah, I want to tell everybody that I put out my what I call 12-pack preseason poll and my final poll of the year on my webpage, harveyhide.com, and I've just released my top 12 college football teams in the country. You can go to that and find out what it is, and I sort of surprise people on who I have number one. But remember, this is a preseason poll. This is the way I have it as far as how I think the team should be lined up as far as what they have, what they have returning, what they have at quarterback, uh, what their record was last year, how many home games they have, how many away games they have, all of the above. So if you want to go to that, in my top 12 pack, <clears throat> excuse me, I have two pack 12 schools. And uh, and you can check that out and find out where I have the Trojans. All right. That sounds good. And if you don't see them, don't be surprised. Yeah. Ooh, okay. Um, yeah, it's funny. I did a, uh, a Trojan Coaches Club uh, meeting last night, Coach. There was like a little gathering, and uh, I was one of the speakers. Uh, it's great to get out and talk to USC people again, but they have a lot of questions about, you know, where the team's going to, how's the team going to be? And, you know, it's funny, like, I'm pretty optimistic just because the schedule is not that difficult. It's a lot easier than what last year's schedule was supposed to be. And, you know, they're still a really talented team. That's not been USC's issue. Uh, they got a lot of better coaching staff. I think special teams will be better. I think the defense is going to be better. Um, I don't know. I'm like, I, I think this team should at least win 10 games. And if you're like, you're a 10 and two type of team, you know, that's like more, that's going to be like a top 10 team. Like when the, uh, at the end of the season comes around, but that, you know, will they end up doing that? It's hard to say, but that's kind of where I see this team going. Well, they have, it's not that they don't have the players. Okay. Sure, they're light at some positions as far as they don't have the four- and five-star offensive linemen. We all know that, okay? 
But they have players at USC. Look at the recruiting classes and where they're ranked in the country, okay? It's it's just whether you give these young players an opportunity to do what they do the best and put them in a position to win, okay? And at USC, you read the articles all the time, and you hear the commissioner say it all the time. And you've heard me say this for years, Ryan, since I've been doing this podcast with you, that the face of the Pac-12 is USC, the Trojans. And the way they evaluate the Pac-12 is how USC football is. Let's don't get away from that fact. And UCLA in the metropolitan area is also the same. That's the way they measure the Pac-12. And when the Trojans are good, they respect the Pac-12. Now, Washington's come along and Oregon's come along here recently. UCLA has not been there to give the respect that's necessary so it's so important for the Trojans to be in polls, and it's so important for the Trojans to win. And to win games, they're supposed to win. And then not lose games that are games that are against big-time opponents, like Utah. I think Utah is going to be better than last year, okay? I think Arizona State's going to be better than last year. I think Notre Dame's going to be a good football team. Now, can they beat these type of teams to get the respect they should get for themselves for the university, for the fans, for the alumni, and for themselves. Can, uh, can they do that? Can they get over that hurdle? That's what it is. Can they do that with their current philosophy? Can they do that under their current leadership? Do they have that belief that they want to be that type of football program from the administration down? Is Mike Bone's hands tied or are they untied? Can he go all out? If it's necessary to make a change, does he have that power to do so? That's the questions I have with USC football. And this is what I think we're all looking at. You just can't beat certain teams. I mean, yes, you open against San Jose State. They were the Mountain West Conference champion. But San Jose State and USC, USC didn't recruit one player on their team, okay? Not one player that I can think of. Maybe I'm wrong. Stanford's not a great team this year. They've been going downhill. You've got to be able to beat Stanford. You've got to be able to beat uh, uh, Arizona and some of these other schools because you're USC. And until you're USC, then you're not going to have the respect you're supposed to have among the nation and the whole nation for the Pac-12. Yeah, I agree with you, Coach. Um, that's why I'm just kind of really excited for the season because it's all set up. This is uh, no excuses. This is an easy schedule. You're going to have the most talented team in every game except, you know, the Notre Dame game probably. Just win. Just win games. You know, that's all you got to do. If you can't win games, you got a better support staff. You got a better coaching staff around you. You got everything you could possibly want. Now just win. And so I think this is the first time we're going to just get a no excuse year. So we'll, we will see, coach. Well, let's, uh, let's, we got some questions. So we're going to get some more of your opinions. Let's take a break and we'll come back and answer those back in a minute. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. 
Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, we're back here on the Parastyle Podcast. Coach, why don't we start with an email from Derek about the USC offensive line. He says, well, I'd love your podcast. Thank you, Derek. My daughter is a rising sophomore at USC. Here's my question. Each of the last two NFL drafts saw a USC offensive lineman going in the first round, Austin Jackson in 20 and Elijah Vera Tucker in 21. Do you see anyone on the current roster that could keep this string of first round USC offensive linemen going? And as an aside, with all the talk of USC's team weakness and recruiting for this particular position, does the fact that they have produced a first round NFL offensive lineman in each of the last two drafts indicate that some credit should be given to the Trojans coaching staff? Thank you and hope to hear your response on an upcoming podcast, Fight On from Derek. Well, uh, no, I don't think there's a first-round draft choice with the offensive line currently right now. I think there's some players that have gotten noticed as far as with the preseason magazines, guys that have started for two or three years. But to say there's a first-rounder there, I, I can't say that. But again, we'll see what happens this year. I think they have a, an offensive line that has played together for starters for a long period of time. And they're trying to find that extra player now who will play that left tackle. And uh, I tell you, you can't, you know, I think they're about as good as they can get because uh, they played football for so long together that uh, they normally mature these guys and uh, they're, they're who they are. And now they just have to decide if, and coach them up and get them angry and knock somebody off the football. And, and that's who it is. And uh, you don't see any really young players coming in and challenging any of the starters that are returning. I think a couple of the kids out there have done a good job as far as hustling around. But there aren't any threats that are young players that are going to knock out one of the returners. I don't see that at all. And maybe I'm looking at it wrong, Ryan. You can look at it differently. But I don't think that it comes down to who's coaching them. I think it comes down to who they are. You become a pretty good coach when you have great players, but you've got to find a way to motivate these players and get them to be better players. What I mean by that, work them harder, do what is necessary, make a guy that's 6'2", make him 6'3", in effort, make him go down the field, make him learn how to punish himself to get success and be who he is because Without the offensive line, you you know you got a tough time winning as far as on the offensive side of the football, and you've got to play on their side of the football. And uh, these guys have got to have that type of attitude. And I've always had an offensive line coach, and when I was an offensive line coach, a guy that got in your face, a guy that uh, uh, you didn't want to let down. Okay, you loved him, but you hated him because he was all over you every single minute you dream about him. You, you, you wake up at 4 in the morning hearing him scream at you. But you loved him, because he cared about you, off the field as well as on the field and everything about you. 
So I've always felt that it's difficult to take an average player and make him a great player. But you can motivate players and coach players to become better than what they should be. And sometimes you need to do that and have that type of coach at USC. Like in the past, I can talk to you about Davis, the offensive line coach that was there with Pete Carroll, the type of attitude and the type of line coach he was. Hudson Houck, the great coach he was and went into the NFL and the great offensive linemen he had. People wanted to come and play at USC because they got great coaching. That's why. And they, and if they played at USC, they had a chance to play in the NFL and be a first-round draft choice. So Ron Yaris, I can go on, but Brad Buddy. I mean, let's go through the history of offensive linemen at at, uh, at USC. It's it's there, but you've got to take what you have, and what you have is all you got. So if I'm the offensive line coach, I'm gonna sit in the room and I say, "Hey guys, you're the guys, okay? Don't look around." There isn't anybody coming in this room. We're all here. And everybody's talking about us. Now, what do you want them to say about us? Should we go out there and get it done? Do our very best so that we can come back in and say, screw you, because we did our very best, and we're not any better than this, but we're going to give it hell? And this is the way I talk to these guys. And I'm, I'm not saying Clay doesn't talk like this with these guys, but you gotta, you know, you got to make them love you and play for you. Guys have got to want to play for you as an assistant coach and a head football coach. They want to win for you. They don't want to let you down because they know you're getting criticized at the same time. So, you know, this is what I see. No, and again, I don't see any first-round draft choices here. But you can sure motivate them to get them ready to play, and that's what you got to do. Yeah, I would agree with you, Coach. The only thing, um, you know, there's a bunch of veteran guys that you know like I don't think of Jalen McKenzie or Andrew Voorhees. Like they can be effective players in college. I don't. Maybe they'll be NFL guys. I don't see them as being first round draft picks. But there's a couple of young guys that have upside that maybe a Cortland Ford or maybe a Jonah Monheim, who's been basically taken over left tackle for the last week. First team left tackle for USC. Um, great kid, fun to talk to. Uh, or a Casey Collier. Some of those guys like could potentially be one down the road. Um, but, you know, as of now, I've not seen anyone out there like, yeah, that, that's a first-round uh, offensive lineman. No, Monham, now let me tell you, he was a good catch. I've talked to Pac-12 coaches, and they told me he was the best lineman they got when they recruited him and signed him. They all, they all wanted him. Thought he's a player. So, you know, when I'm looking at this right now, he's going to be starting at left tackle, okay? I really believe that. And down the road, I wouldn't be a bit surprised to see him go to the right side, play the right tackle, and have Ford play the left tackle. Yeah, uh, we'll see. We'll see. But he's been playing a lot of left tackle lately, so we'll uh, follow him along. I put up an interview with him up on uscfootball.com if you want to go check that out. Before I mention that, too, we're actually doing uh, – if you're listening to this on Monday, we're doing a free VIP day. So if you're not a VIP member, you can – Get all the access to uscfootball.com premium content for free all day Monday. So check it out. And then we're also doing a deal like 75% off an annual membership. So definitely jump in there and get that if you're not a member already. Um, all right. We have a question. You mentioned Taj Washington earlier, Coach, the speedster that transferred from Memphis. We have a question about him. Hey, Ryan Curtis from Moreno Valley. Me and you usually don't agree on everything, and that helps the show to be better, in my opinion. But in this specific instance, 
I agree with you 100%. Todd Washington, Peristyle, look at this man's highlights from last year at Memphis. He's coming in as a sophomore, so we at least got him two years, and he is deadly. Remember Dory Jackson, who could take a screen pass and go the distance? Same thing here. He returns kicks and punts, and he has really good hands as a receiver. Runs good routes. I don't know how you're going to cover a guy like that with Drake London, the other receivers we had, and a running back in drop eight and drop seven coverages. We got to beat it. Curtis from Moreno Valley. Well, Curtis, I want to tell you, I don't know where you're watching practice from. I haven't figured it out yet. I've got to look around. Ryan, you and I have to look around, okay? We've got to find Curtis somewhere, yeah. yeah. Somehow Curtis is sitting somewhere in a tree, somewhere that they haven't found him. But he's been looking at the same thing that I've been looking at. This kid is an explosive type of player. Uh, he has great feeling on the football field as far as setting up blocks and moving from side to side on the field. He does have good hands. He made a great play on Saturday on a short uh, completion. Uh, you can tell he loves the game, uh, and uh, I think he'll play. I really think he'll get out there and do a great job this year. I think he'll bring a lot of competition to the receivers, and uh, I like him. I like him as a punt returner, kickoff returner, because he brings that burst, and uh, I've been able to watch him, and I think he sets up his blocks well as far as when he is returning a kickoff and returning a punt was part of returning or getting big punt returns and kickoff returns is to hit the seam and set up the blocks. You've got to hit the seam and set up the blocks that are down in front of you down the field. And uh, I think he does a great job there. So I agree with you on Washington. I think he's going to be a, uh, a highlight. I think it was worth taking him. And uh, we'll see what happens with him and how they use him. Yeah, and typically when we're watching the kickoff returns, Coach, you're seeing sort of like a, a partner um, along with it. Sometimes it's a running back, you know, like a receiver doing the returns, like a you know Gary Bryan or, um, you know, like we mentioned, Taj Washington, maybe someone like Keaton Kristen up ahead of them. But they'll they'll pair it up. Sometimes it's like Michael uh, Jackson uh, Jr. Um, but yeah, so that's like the you know, the pair of them, if the other one's like the, the alternate kick returner, but usually they'll be like the lead blocker kind of lead you through, uh, the gauntlet there. And, uh, you're right. The it's at that returner has got to set up those blocks and, uh, they have to work really closely with that man next to them. No, I agree. <clears throat> you set up a, a good, uh, punt returner and a good kickoff returner is the one that sets up the blocks for the blockers in front of them because they see the field, the entire field, and they, by making a move here or there, it determines what the defensive player is going to do, and the offensive player that's, doesn't look back, he just blocks the guy that's in front of him. So, yeah, I think he does a good job at that. Those other guys, too, Kristen and, and them can do a good job, too, but you got to have burners back there with good hands. Burners and guys that are smart to know when to fair catch it and when not to fair catch it. And also when they're not, you know, run out of the end zone and do stupid things that cause yourself poor field position. Yeah. We got an email from Jay about black bras. Uh, maybe not what you're thinking, but he says, love the show. Been listening since 2010. Thanks, Jay. Uh, it's the only place to get answers for some of the quirky questions people have. My quirky question is, 
Why are the players wearing black bras that say catapult during practice? And I'll do real quick, uh, Coach. Yeah, so those are like these GPS tracker deals that all the players are wearing now. I think across college football, it can tell you how far you've run, like where you've gone. Um, it gives you a better idea if there's, you know, if you have like your cornerbacks, for example, if they were running like an extra mile and a half over your receivers, they're going to adjust, make some adjustments there. So they don't want to be burning out a certain position group or certain players. But uh, I forget all the telemetry, all the kind of data that you get from those, but it's basically a GPS tracker. Um, fairly, you know, I, the last several years, I think we've seen these around, Coach. Well, you know, I don't know about all that stuff, okay? If you're a football player, you don't care how far you have to run. You know, you you got to cover your guy. If they throw four streaks your way or four fades your way, you got to go cover him, okay? And, uh you know, I you know I don't I don't want to hear, but I'm tired. You know, you've always heard me me say that I'm tired. I, I just ran the ball 50 yards, coach. You better take me out. My goodness, I mean, no, I'm I'm a guy that doesn't even want to, don't even look at me at the sideline. Just keep playing football, and I'll notice if you're tired. I can recognize when you're tired and you're playing and and all of this and that. But you know, you you find all all these new scientific things that are going on, and if the if if it gives the player a better attitude and he feels like he's in better shape or he's running farther than the other guy's running or whatever, that's fine. I mean, but to me, you know, that stuff doesn't make a football player. That's somebody that's trying to wear a watch out there. All right. Uh, let's. We have one more voicemail and then a few more emails, but let's play you this one, Coach. Here you go. Hey, guys. This is uh, Evan from Tempe. Uh I was thinking about something uh, Ryan said like about a week ago uh, about the UCLA-LSU game. There was a question from a, a caller about that, and Ryan was saying that USC wants UCLA to win that game. And um, I just kind of want to know, you know, I get the whole back-to-pack thing, but how important would that really be? Like, Because if UCLA wins that game, it obviously makes the conference look a little bit better as a whole. It does a lot better for UCLA than it does for USC. It makes them look much better than the other team, obviously. And Harvey Hyde, I remember a while back, said every time USC isn't playing to their potential, that just gives another Pac-12 team the chance to run up on them. And so wouldn't that be a textbook example of what this would happen, what would happen here if UCLA beat LSU? Wouldn't that, yeah, it would make the conference as a whole look better, but it would, look, it would make UCLA look way better than anybody. And wouldn't that have some kind of negative effects on USC? I'm not saying that recruits are definitely going to go to UCLA just because of one game. I know that's not really how it works. But, I mean, no one's going to be more interested in USC just because UCLA beat LSU. So I just I don't really think that uh, it would really do USC really much at all if UCLA beat LSU, you consider what it does for the opponent. So uh, I just want to know what's your thoughts on that. I'm just not a very big like back or pack person, and I just want to see if you know that's really what the philosophy should be. So uh, thank you guys. Hey, Evan. well, thank you. I think I really think. Excuse me, Ryan. Go you ahead. want to answer that? Well, I'll address it for me first. I'll just go real quick and then get you. Um, yeah, Evan. I I would say this isn't really about a back the pack thing, but of course it's going to help UCLA more than anybody. You beat LSU. Um, that's going to be a big deal. UCLA gets Hawaii in week zero. So they'll get a tune-up game in the Rose Bowl before LSU comes and plays their very first game. 
Chip Kelly's not been good early in the season, so this is going to be a big difference. You know, if they can turn things around, those would be their first, you know, out-of-conference wins for the Chip Kelly era. Um, certainly helps UCLA. Like you said, it doesn't matter for recruiting. Like, a bunch of recruits aren't going to switch from USC to UCLA because UCLA beats LSU. The good thing is USC and UCLA play at the end of the season. You'd rather have UCLA be better. But just for the Pac-12 in general, and for USC in general, if you are kind of trying to sniff the college football playoff, if it's USC or Oregon, whoever it is from the conference, if you know Oregon goes to Ohio State and loses, and then Washington goes to Michigan and loses, and UCLA loses to, U- to LSU at home, I don't think the Pac-12, even an undefeated team, would make the playoff. Like you, you have to win some of those out-of-conference games, and that's a winnable one because LSU had a lot of turmoil last year, and UCLA gets them at home. Like the two, you know, high-profile ones uh, from the Big Ten that were going to be in the Pacific Northwest in 2020. Well, those didn't happen. Now they're happening in 2021, and they're happening in the Midwest. So um, I don't think most USC fans are probably like rooting for for UCLA to beat um, LSU. Uh, especially with Coach Orger on there, uh, you know they like a lot of the fans love Coach O. But I would say in general, yeah, it's it helps everyone. Uh, it will certainly help USC if they're going to be one of the contenders for the Pac-12 championship. And if they are, you know, potentially a college football playoff, USC schedule is pretty easy. If they somehow beat Notre Dame, you would rather have UCLA, you know, beating UCLA with a win over LSU than not. So I would still stick by that. But any thoughts from you, Coach? Yeah, well, I, I sort of agree with everything you're saying. First of all, you want all of your league schools to do well in non-conference games. You want to be able to have UCLA beat LSU. You want to have Washington you know, beat Michigan. You want to have Oregon beat Ohio State. You want that. It builds up your conference. And then you as USC have got to beat those people. Then that brings your conference back up to where you're supposed to bring and it brings you back up to who you're supposed to be the dominant team. Uh, these teams uh, have beaten people, and now they play us, and we beat them. So that moves us up in the ranking, and that brings us back to be the type of conference that we can brag about who we played non-conference and who we beat. And, uh, you know, there was a the day that uh, we used to beat those people. Now, LSU, uh, Ed Orgeron is a good guy and everything, but he's got, he's got great players, but he's had some changes in his coaching staff, you know, last year wasn't a really good year for him. A lot of pressure, a lot of things going on. This is a huge game for him. He's got a lot of pressure on him down there. They they want national championships at LSU. UCLA here uh, is a, a better football team, I think, than what people think they are. I think it'll be a good football game. And uh, I look forward to watching that game, as I do all college football games. But again, when you look at the big picture, you want your conference to be successful. You root for all your conference teams. You don't hate them until you play them. But you want them to win all the games they can until you play them. And then you got to beat them. Because every time you beat them and they come in with a pretty good football team that has a track record, that helps your program. And what I'm basically worried about is my program. I'm not going to talk about their program. Let them talk about their program. I'll talk about our program. And the way you talk about it is beating their ass. So, you know, that's sort of, excuse my language on that, but that's the way I would talk to the kids. And I'd say, root for them, because we got a chance to play them later on and show them who we are. 
Good, good stuff there, Coach. Uh, we got an email from Don about uh, NIL name, image, and likeness. Ryan, are there any classes at USC that address all the issues regarding NIL? If not, shouldn't such a class class be part of the curriculum of all the athletes, taxes, contracts, moral clauses, conflicts regarding eligibility, et cetera? Um, it's a good question, Don. I think there's, I don't think there's like a class per se. I would love to see college classes, even just for general students. You know, we don't have classes in high school and college. Usually they're teaching people how to like balance their checkbook. Not that people do that anymore, but just budget kind of things. Uh, personal finance seems to be something that could be used for everybody. Um, I feel like there there's programs in there in USC that they're addressing some of the stuff and there's, you know, companies out there trying to help with it. I don't know if there's a specific class though. I don't know if you've heard anything, coach. Well, first of all, I take offense to you telling me I don't balance my checkbook, okay? Oh. I, I balance all my checkbooks. I'm not on that uh, quick deposit thing like all you flashes are, okay? I'm all school. I want to handle my own money. I know what's in there then, and I and I take pride. And I'm just kidding you, Ryan. <laughs> no, but I, do, I do balance my checkbook. I do. I do do that every year or every month. I don't know how many out there do that, too. But you're right. My kids think I'm crazy and everybody else, but... I guess I make extra work for myself. But uh, as far as a course, there's a course on campus at USC. Jeff Fellinger teaches. I don't know if you've ever spoke at it. Uh, I have, Coach, Ryan. yeah. He, yeah, he teaches a couple, but like yeah, the sports business class, it's really good. Right, and I've spoken at it, and uh, other people have spoken at it as far as your areas and so on. And I would think that, and it's loaded with football players, and it's a hell of a class. It really is. It's got like 200 people in the class. And it's common sense. It's a class like common sense. And I don't think we have enough courses in college about what common sense is as far as your image, your networking, who you are, what you represent, what you should know about yourself and how to get ahead. See, it's a computer edge. age. You know, people don't even meet anybody anymore. I mean, uh, they, you know, they just all computer. I, I, I know my friend by computer. There's no more business lunches or, or the things the way it used to be, the networking and things that go on. But I think there's a, a thing you need to know about communication, and there's things you need to know about looking somebody in the eye and shaking hands and being polite and opening a car door and learning the words of, of love and thank you, please, and may I help you these type of things that take you a long ways in life. And I think that that's what I was talking about when I spoke at his class. And I think this is a great area where he, if he could bring in speakers to let people know exactly what this is all about and why it's come about and how it can be used and how the money should be utilized that these players collect and how it can be uh, enhance their careers in other areas with the sponsors and, and the whole thing, there should be classes, more common sense classes, as far as, like you said, how to balance a checkbook and how to run your life. Because a lot of the courses you take, you just take them and read them as a book. You listen to the lecture, but you're just trying to get an A or B or a C or whatever you want to get in them. How about giving a course that you want to practice all your life? that you're going to utilize these skills all your life, not just now, to pass a class. And those are the type of classes I think we're really lacking in our educational system. Yeah, I agree with you, Coach. Um, but, yeah, Don, I, I believe USC has some programs in place, and everyone's still trying to figure this out now. 
Um, but they definitely have gone into this uh, trying to be proactive from the very beginning. Let's go. We have a question from Coates. Now, he didn't want me to read this, but it's just more of a general topic he wanted me to have you discuss. It's about He says, is Gamble Mania the Pac-12's future? And he's feeling that this is, you know, gambling is a huge piece of the college football puzzle going forward if there's going to be like a super league. Um, and he felt that there's maybe a coincidence that the commissioner of the Pac-12 is someone that came from Vegas or from the MGM. Um, is this something do you see, Coach, where USC football and college football in general is going to be embracing all things gambling? Um, you know, will Las Vegas be a bigger part of this? We know it's going to be involved in the championship games and, you know, who knows, future uh, media days might be there. They might even move the Pac-12 uh, headquarters there. They're certainly going to move them um, when they get a chance to. Uh, George Klyovkov is not going to be paying $8 million a year in rent like uh, Larry Scott was. Um, but he, Coates wants to know, do you think that's going to fly? Um, th- or do you think that's the direction uh, that college football and USC football should be going? Well, you know, college football, the people have been betting on college football for years. I don't even know how many years, as long as you've been playing it. In the old days, they probably bet a horse. I'll bet you your horse against my horse or whatever. But it's, uh, you know, every day, every week, you can get the lines of all of the games almost through the entire year right now already and make your bets. And the NFL has seen that. The NFL has decided, why should Las Vegas make all of the money so we're going to get involved. So you see the NFL buying companies and merging with people that, so that they can do their fantasy footballs and all these other things they're doing and getting a proportion of the money. So, you know, that's, that's, that's part of it, uh, the millions and billions of dollars that are gambled in sporting events. Uh, will college football get involved and merge possibly a conference with a – casino or somebody like that like the nfl has done maybe eventually i'd never say no i would never say no because everything's so much money now everything's money 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 that it might be ruining the game of football or college and everything else but everybody's getting rich over it so uh, no i would never say no i would say possibly There'll be some way it comes up in the Pac-12 and the other conferences are part of some type of a gaming uh, institution where they get a percentage of games that are, that are played or bet on uh, in their conference. How that works, I'll never know, but they'll figure it out. Yeah, we'll see. That It's definitely changing, and uh, Vegas is becoming more and more embraced by the mainstream uh, sporting world, so I well, it would make sense if college football goes there too, but how much, how much, how deep will it go? It's hard to say. Uh, we got one last one from Troy Trojan. He says, I remember a couple of years ago, he was talking to me, Ryan, you brought up the idea that USC should at least threaten to go independent to better itself financially. And you have periodically uh, been bringing it up since then. When you made that suggestion public, I felt the conference should have taken that as a warning to get their financial act together to make the crown jewel happy. I also vividly remember the reaction from the Pac-12 community, your writing peers and fans suggesting this was crazy and that USC is no longer relevant to demand this. Even when John Wilner was the OG of the Pac-12 
writers suggest uh, who he's the OG of Pac-12 writers suggests the importance of USC. When he does that, his comment section is flooded with how ridiculous this idea is. They wrote that the Pac-12 can thrive with or without USC. Well, um, they're not laughing today. If you think about it, USC's decision to go or stay in the Pac-12 could impact college athletic programs west of Texas for the next 30 years. Literally, jobs, budgets, relevance is tied to Heritage Hall's decision. Now, after all that has gone on over the last two weeks, is the Pac-12 community now understanding SC's importance to their existence? I mean, facing the possibility of Oregon versus Montana for the Big Sky Championship would humble any man, right? Or are they still in denial? Thoughts, Troy? I'll give a few thoughts and get yours, Coach. Um, yeah, Troy, I think people do realize that now. When I posted stuff like that, John Wilner did, I get a lot of tweets of, USC's only won one Pac-12 championship in the last 10 years, and and what, you know they're not relevant anymore. It doesn't matter. Well, what Texas and Oklahoma leaving does, because I, I forget the stat is, but I think Nebraska and Texas have like the same amount of Big 12 championships in the last like 20 years. And Nebraska hasn't been in the Big 12 for a long time. That doesn't matter. It's still the brand. And my the, what I've been saying and telling people is the Big 12 didn't matter. Texas and Oklahoma mattered. Everyone else that's left there, they needed Texas and Oklahoma. They don't want to admit it. They don't want to say that we need Texas there. We need Oklahoma there. We hate them. We're Oklahoma State. We hate Oklahoma. Well, guess what? You needed them there. Oregon State needs Oregon to be relevant. Um, The rest of the Pac-12 needs USC to be relevant. And you could mix and match. You could try to dice up the Pac-12 and make it pieces of it enticing for other conferences like the Big Ten. There's a lot of options you could do. It could be simple like one school. If you took one school, it would be USC. If you did two schools, like let's do the LA schools, USC and UCLA, USC's involved. If you did the California schools, USC's involved. If you said, we're going to do the bigger brands, Oregon, Washington, USC, and like Colorado because of the Denver market, USC's involved in that. There's no way you're going to take a piece of the Pac-12 and have it not involve USC. So to answer your question, Troy, yeah, I think people are realizing that much more now than what it was said before. Uh, the, the analogy I use is, for the Lakers, Frank Vogel doesn't matter. LeBron James matters. You can get rid of your coach and get another coach. And LeBron's won championships with a lot of coaches. But LeBron's the key. He's the draw. USC's the draw. So that's my thoughts on this. I got a question at the event last night. I think USC's positioned extremely well because they are the big brand. They can stay in the Pac-12 and get a better deal. They can go to another conference and get a better deal. They could explore going independent and get a better deal, but they are in a power position and actually have an athletic director that's willing to take advantage of it. The previous, you know, Pat Hayden went along with Larry Scott's parody model. He was fine with making the same amount of money as Oregon state, not even considering like cost of living adjustments. That's gone. Those days are gone. USC will not be, Hey, we're okay with making the same thing. Uh, that Washington State does. No more of that. So whatever happens, I think it's going to be better for USC. But will it be amazing? Like, it, you know, it could be. It just depends on what USC does. But USC is definitely going to get a better deal. And they're going to be shown, hey, we're a power player in the conference where that hasn't been the case for the last 15 years. Wow. 
lot, lot to unpack there. Sorry, Coach. I just went off on a little rant. Wow. Did you take your blood pressure pill today? <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, I don't no, have to do you that know, yet, You're exactly right. And uh, I tell you, it all started way back with all of the things you're talking about, Ryan. It's almost like a de-emphasis of football at USC when they did the, the, the Pac-12 sharing of revenue and all of the things they did. And they didn't fight the NCAA when they gave them those sanctions. And, and they allowed the Heisman Trophy to go back. It's, you know, that, 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 that stuff. I mean, I was angry about all that. And I said it on the show, and everybody knows that. Uh, and the other schools in the Pac-12, they didn't do anything for USC or Larry Scott to come up and fight it or unite and try to help USC. No, they looked at it as an opportunity, a way of getting even with USC and catching up with USC because they couldn't beat them. And then again, then they couldn't wait to fire Mike Garrett because Mike Garrett made a statement uh, at a San Francisco booster club meeting. Like, everybody's jealous of us. They wish they could be USC or something like that. And, uh, you know, they couldn't wait to get rid of Mike. And, you know, there was never more championships won at USC under any other athletic director than Mike Garrett. And they ran him out because he he wouldn't take that type of stuff. He'd tell you the way it is. Now, some people liked Mike and some people didn't. But if you look at the records in the championships that were won there, uh, he had a pretty good uh, record at it. And uh, he's a Trojan, and he knew what the, uh, the, the tradition was of USC. So, you know, it, it all started with lack of leadership. And now, do they have the leadership now? that they want to bring back that type of program. And I said that earlier. Do they want to be USC of the past? Do they want to do that? I don't know. I've never heard, heard Carol Fold say that. I've never heard her say, we want to be USC of the past. We want to play Ohio State, Alabama, Texas as our non-conference games every year. I want to hear her say that. I, that's what I want to hear. But... I don't hear that, and I'm not sure Mike Bone can say that, but I know that if you start to do that, I know the people will get excited about that, and the Coliseum will be full again, and the spirit of Troy, you talk about the spirit of Troy, will be back. So, you know, talk is cheap. Action is the real deal. Yeah. All right, Coach. Well, good stuff. I didn't think we'd have a lot to talk about today. We went like an hour already. So yeah, we um, did. Yeah, uh, knocked it all out of there. But awesome, uh, awesome stuff. And uh, looking forward to seeing you out there at more practices, Coach. Thanks again. Well, thank you very much. And for all of you out there, remember this is just our opinion or my opinion. So you can agree with me or disagree with me. If you want to listen to any of my other shows that I do, I'll be starting August the 29th, a Sunday morning school uh, show on KLAA with Chuck Hayes, College Football Review and Preview. That's AM830 on your station here in Southern California. I'd love to have you listen. So, hey, we'll be back next week, Ryan. I want to thank you for being a, allowing me to be a part of your network and your uscfootball.com, and take care, buddy. All right, you too, Coach. Thanks, and uh, everyone else, thanks so much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. Hope you enjoyed the show, and we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. 
This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices, every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance, avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus.